Trigger warning. This episode contains discussion of suicide. Listener discretion is advised. Sorry, one sec. We get started in a minute. Just let me put my gun back in my holster here and clean off these spurs. Anyway, where was I? Oh, right. Las Vegas and Nevada. As we've explored elsewhere in this series, there are many ways in which this place has evoked the tropes of the Wild West. It's a place where you can play by your own rules and get away with it, too. Must be that dusty desert air. It almost smells like freedom. And of course, that freedom always extends to, heck, starts with commerce. That freedom, that is what drew Heidi Fleiss to Nevada in the early 90s. There are less rules, probably. And I think Heidi kind of, she's an ethical person in her own way, where she's like, these things might not be legal, but like I'm doing them the right way. Nevada just seemed like the perfect place for her. That's Molly Lambert. She's the creator of a new podcast on Heidi Fleiss called Heidi's World. Heidi became famous for starting a high-end call girl business. In other words, a full-service sex work operation in the 90s in Hollywood. Basically what happened was that movie studio executives were spending money, movie studio money on call girls. And that sort of came out and then it became a big scandal and then it became a trial and it just became a huge media spectacle She was literally called the Hollywood Madam. I'm the best Madam that ever lived. She was known to serve A-listers, the Hollywood elite. Some of her model-turned-sex workers were sent around the world. They could make $10,000 a gig, which would be nearly 20 grand today. Tell me what it's going to cost me to have three hot chicks the weekend in the Versace room. Probably 15 grand. 15 grand. Heidi never divulged her clients' names, but we do know that actor Charlie Sheen was a regular. He testified at her trial. He spent $53,000 on sex work. She went from someone that only the elite in Los Angeles knew to being a very public persona and then a convicted felon. When the city showed up to bust her with like 40 cops, it was like, why is the city of Los Angeles spending all this money on me? I'm just like a 27-year-old girl who's like selling escort services to some rich guys and nobody's getting hurt. She cracked a joke like to the cops, like, you know, no wonder the city is broke. Like, this is why the budget is all messed up. And it's totally true. She was ripped apart, even though really, it was a victimless crime. It was all consensual. Nobody got hurt. She was sentenced to three years in prison for pandering. They call it pandering instead of pimping. I do not really understand why, but it also really confused the jury, and they thought they were giving her a better sentence because they didn't know what pandering meant. And when she got out, Heidi was on a mission to make her sex work dreams come true. And that brings us back to the beginning of this episode, Heidi's fresh start in Nevada. Heidi ended up moving to Nevada because she had this idea that she would start a brothel for women with male sex workers a stud farm, and she became friends with Dennis Hoff, who's the guy who runs the Bunny Ranch. And she basically, you know, was like, I'm going to figure out a way to, like, set up a brothel for women. I'm going to change the way America views sex. You can imagine, for someone like Heidi, Nevada was the land of opportunity. 
Los Angeles, her hometown, had rejected her. But out here in the desert, she could be who she was and do what she wanted. Or so it seemed. The things that had worked for her before weren't working anymore in Los Angeles, but it seemed possible they might work in Nevada. So yeah, she came to Nevada. In a 2005 announcement to the press, she says, I'm going to have the sexiest men on earth. Women are going to love it. Nevada seemed like the perfect place for Heidi, until it wasn't. And that's what this episode is about. How even though Nevada is the only state with legal brothels, its relationship with sex work is still fraught. And Heidi's experience, which we'll get into, is an example of just that. We'll talk to sex workers and sex educators about how being embraced legally doesn't mean sex work is embraced culturally. And the repercussions of that when you have a state that profits off sex work tourism but still stigmatizes the profession. And in Vegas, which thrives off certain kinds of sex work, strip clubs, private escorts, but criminalizes full-service sex work. I'm Brent Holmes. This is Spectacle Las Vegas. Welcome to True Spies, the podcast that takes you deep inside the greatest secret missions of all time. Suddenly out of the dark, it's appeared in Laden. You'll meet the people who live life undercover. What do they know? What are their skills? And what would you do in their position? Vengeance felt good. Seeing these people pay for what they'd done felt righteous. True Spies from Spyscape Studios, wherever you get your podcasts. Have you ever felt like escaping to your own desert island? Jane Gaskin did exactly that, trading in the family home to begin a new life in the tropics. But she soon discovers that paradise has its secrets. I'm Alice Levine, and this is The Price of Paradise, the island dream that ends in kidnap, corruption, and murder. Wish you were here? Follow The Price of Paradise now, wherever you listen to podcasts. So when Heidi Fleiss gets to Vegas, she teams up with Dennis Hoff, who runs the Bunny Ranch. He was kind of the brothel king out there, and a problematic character, to be honest. Heidi has this dream of a brothel that catered not to men, but to women. Specifically straight women. But it turned out to be a lot harder than she thought. She started looking into it and did all the stuff you would need to do to do that and basically encountered bureaucracy and sort of some people who didn't want there to be a brothel for women. This still was like taboo in some way or just like really legally difficult. It was hard for her to get the license in particular because of her history. The reason it did not work is that she was unable to obtain the licensure because unfortunately, you kind of can't be a felon and have a brothel in Nevada. This is Alice Little. She's a sex worker and activist based in Vegas. Alice said that Heidi was also up against cultural taboos. It would be theoretically possible to buy an existing brothel owner out, petition the county to allow the licensure for male gender marker, male sex workers, and also allow for anal sex because not all counties allow for anal. Let's talk about some outdated laws here. 
Nevada has a complicated history with sex work. It's the only state in the country that has legal brothels. Brothels are legal in 10 out of 16 counties. Clark County, where Las Vegas is, is not one of them. The catch is, even in those counties, you can only do full-service sex work in the brothels. And in case you didn't know that terminology, full-service sex work, that means work that includes having sex with your clients. The irony is that most of the sex work done in Nevada is done in its biggest cities, Vegas and Reno. 90% where it's illegal. Only 10% of the sex work in the state is legal, AKA in the brothels. Here's Alice again. It means that they're missing out on God, millions of dollars of tax revenue, frankly speaking. If you run the numbers, Nevada makes roughly $75 million every year from brothels. But it's estimated that underground, illegal sex work grosses in the range of $5 billion annually. Yeah, a lot of money. A lot of folks coming to Vegas actually have no clue that full-service sex work is not legal here. And why would they? On the Strip, there's mobile billboards advertising girls direct to your room. It's seared into my brain. I've literally seen the same image, same font, same sign since like 1992. I mean, they'll implode the stardust, but this sign's been wandering around the strip for three decades. You have guys standing outside the casinos, handing out flyers for everything from sex shows to private dancers. I mean, the city's literal slogan is what happens here stays here. It's telling you in Vegas, there are no rules. But in reality, there are. The city will gladly profit off the image of being a place that invites sex work, but stigmatize the people who keep that reputation alive. More on that next. Ironically, brothels were legal in Vegas until they weren't. Clark County banned them in 1971. Las Vegas is still called Sin City, but a lot of that is marketing. The reality is Las Vegas as a city actually has a lot of restrictions around sexuality and sex work. Obviously, illegal sex work happens everywhere, including Las Vegas. That's Amanda Morgan. She's a sex educator who teaches at UNLV. But if people are looking for legal sex work, what they could do is actually call a brothel and many of the brothels will send a limo or a driver to come get you. So that's kind of nice, right? There is that customer service to pick you up from your hotel and drive you to Pahrump or to Crystal or wherever the brothel is that you are selecting. There's this image of Nevada brothels that they're hours away from a big town in the middle of nowhere tumbleweeds blowing in the roads. I have toured many a brothel in Nevada, and I can tell you that they are not all the same. Amanda again. Some of them are very luxury and feel like you just showed up at some, you know, four-star resort, while others feel like you just stumbled into a trailer park and you're in a double wide. Some people will talk to these sex workers for months and travel thousands of miles to come party. And they're so excited to party. That's what they call it. How long a party do you want? What kind of party do you want? And it's not cheap. 
good luck trying to get any sort of sexual behavior in a brothel for less than $500, $600. And that is not even for like penetrative sex. You know, that might just be like manual stimulation or, you know, using toys or something like that. Uh, generally, we see actual what we consider penetrative sex costing at least $1,500 or more. But given the fact that sex workers have to cough up 50% of what they make, it makes sense. As independent contractors, they have to pay the brothel for room, board, security, testing. I mean, pretty much everything involved with the job. Here's Alice again. People often ask, what's the benefit of being a legal sex worker? And to that, I can say the benefit is legality in of itself. That is that is the one single benefit for me. I know that the cops aren't going to arrest me. That costs me 50% of my income. The privilege of not being arrested for my job. And as independent contractors, they don't get benefits. That made it harder during the pandemic. Alice became widely known for actually suing the state of Nevada to reopen the brothels. We couldn't even, for example, offer dances to somebody. Like some of the strip clubs that closed, they did like this outdoor social distancing thing with dances. Like we literally had zero options for earning income. We had nothing. Meanwhile, casinos were opening their doors to guests. Well, they're telling me that I can't go back to work yet. It's not safe. Oh, excuse me, it's not safe, but that guy over there can be smoking inside during a pandemic that affects your respiratory breathing? Are you kidding me? Since Alice is an independent contractor, she wasn't eligible for unemployment when the pandemic hit. And keep in mind, getting another job isn't as straightforward when sex work, as a profession, is still stigmatized. It's kind of tough to just go be a school teacher, you know? Quinn Rain, another sex worker, told me what it was like to keep her work on the DL. I've worked in tech as a manager, and I would say that every day I'd be nervous that, like, one of the people under me would find something on Pornhub or whatever, and, like, that would come up in a meeting. Quinn is a kind of a sexpreneur. She's done a bit of it all. Phone operator for an escort agency, OnlyFans, full service, porn. Lately, she does a lot of what she calls customs, which are specially tailored videos for her clients. Typically, they will either give you like a, a treatment, which is just like a basic theme, or a full-on script of what they want. I have had people give me like frame for frame what positions they want. She started out webcamming in art school for a class project and then got hooked. And then that moved into doing like fetish videos in person. And within that, people saw photos of me and would book me for different fetishes. And some of them I learned I very much enjoyed and other ones I learned I didn't like. And then that moved into doing hardcore pornography. Quinn is also based in Las Vegas, but she's avoided brothels, partially because of the restraints, having to stay there for long periods, but also they're just not inclusive. I don't have a broad enough appeal. And that's the other thing is that there's very like niche markets in sex work. And for a brothel, you definitely want to be able to attract the most clients. And so that tends to be slimmer fit lawns and 
someone that attracts, like, that has a broader market. She has more freedom doing her own thing. Because I'm not 18 and 90 pounds, I got put in the BBW category, which I honestly don't mind because now I don't have to worry about like being skinny for a shoot. Like I can embrace my body and there's a lot more self-love in the BBW space than there is in traditional like pornography. I know a lot of girls are very focused on like diet and stuff. And for everyone out there who doesn't know, BBW stands for Big Beautiful Women. And her work, it's not just inclusive for her, it's inclusive for her clients. They can come as they are, kinks and all. I've done videos where like, I just ate a whole box of Oreos. I've done videos where I, I'm trying to think, I turned into an inflatable blueberry. Like, (laughs) I've done, yeah, like, just obscure things that people have kinks for and they're willing to pay and they don't see it out there. So they, you know, have a hobby of custom stuff. Her services also offer a safe space for her clients. And that's one of the most rewarding parts is that you can give someone this need or this intimacy that maybe they're not comfortable with asking someone in like a more traditional like sexual relationship for, or they're lonely people that like don't have access to that. A lot of like online sex work, I tend to see like military guys or people that are traveling overseas or people that are like disabled or like agoraphobic. And so you can you know, facilitate this intimacy for them. Those intimate spaces can also be found in brothels. Alice Little has worked with a couple of clients that really moved her. One was a war veteran. He'd recently had both his legs amputated and his fiance had ended their engagement. He was in a tough place. But what really struck out to me as the most important factor of this is that our experience wasn't about the loss of his legs or the wheelchair, or disability, or war. It was just about connection and pleasure and getting to have these beautiful, wonderful sensations with like another person and getting to have that vulnerability. And that's really what the focus was. She found out afterward that he'd been contemplating suicide, but he changed his mind. If babies can be given food and water and shelter and still die if they're not held, Why would we think that we don't need physical affection as adults? Like, it's still a very present and real need. And when someone's needs aren't getting met, we know it has detrimental effects on them, psychologically, physically. Burnout for sex workers during the past couple years has been real. Quinn, out of precaution for COVID, decided to go fully online. As a content creator, she's a web designer, an accountant, a social media manager, lighting supervisor, a set designer. I mean, the list goes on and on. It's a lot. I have a 50-gallon tub of sex toys that are not my favorite ones, that are just like, my friends are like, oh, the bucket of dildos. Going online meant her work could be 24-7, if she let it. The possibility of burnout is real. You know, it all blends together when you're not leaving the house, right? (laughs) But there are several times where you have in your head, like I have a stack of like, oh, I've got to film these customs and that costume's not finished and I don't have anything in my upload queue and weighing that stress over like 
there's just no way I can get it done and I need to sleep, you know, especially with chronic illness or like, I'm going to call my therapist instead of shooting. And that's going to be the priority today. It's also a weird feeling to be in a state that welcomes sex work, but live in a city that criminalizes a large cross-section of it. Like, as a sex worker, you're an outsider, inherently. So I've never worked a brothel, so I've never felt welcome in any space. Despite that, she has no intention of leaving anytime soon. I love working in Vegas. The flexibility here is nice. There's a lot of sex workers that come and live here. So there's a community within us. Vegas proper has definitely helped out sex work with the like what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas marketing that people think that it's legal here and people come here to have a good time. So that is helpful and it does add to the market. All this makes me think of Heidi again how she was crucified by her own city for being a madam, a city that makes billions off of sexualizing women. And Vegas is no different. Here's Molly again. Why is it okay to sell your personality, sell your body, sell your face and image, you know, in a TikTok or whatever, but if you show your tits, it's like over the line. In Vegas, you're allowed to sell the appeal, the tease, the idea of sex, but not sex itself. For example, there was a movement that happened within the burlesque community where they wanted to be able to perform at bars that had video poker, which many bars in Las Vegas have video poker built into the bar, right? And according to Nevada gaming law, you are not allowed to show areola or the area beneath the areola or even side boob, side breast, around gaming. And so this is why when we see the dealer tainers, they're all wearing full bras instead of pasties while they're dealing out your cards. I was just curious, is it because they think that like that will distract them from gambling? I think that's what it is. I think that there is the the concern that, you know, you'll get too distracted by the power of breasts and that you will not continue to flush your money away. Las Vegas sells sex in so many ways, from cocktail waitresses in itty-bitty bikinis to strip clubs and escort services. But it's even better at selling its beloved slogan, what happens here stays here, where judgment is left the moment you enter paradise. Next time on Spectacle, we'll dive more into that slogan, how it translated to films like The Hangover. Remember, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. <laughs> and further establish Sin City as the destination for drunken debauchery. You take a vase and smash it on the ground, you're going to pay for that, you know? And, and I, I think the guy got like a $4,000 bill or something, yeah. And how Vegas is the place where toxic masculinity could go hog wild. That's next time on Spectacle. Spectacle Las Vegas is a production of Neon Hum Media. The show is hosted by yours truly. This episode was produced by Liz Sanchez and Navani Otero. Our executive producer is Jonathan Hurst. Spectacle's senior producer is Joanna Clay. Our associate editor is Stephanie Serrano. Samantha Allison is our production manager. Our engineer is Scott Somerville. Original music by Hans Dale Sue. And special thanks to Tanner Robbins, Vikram Patel, Shara Morris, Odelia Rubin, Chloe Chobel, and Catherine St. Louis. 
Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Neon Hum Media. I'm Brent Holmes. Y'all come back now, you hear? Spectacle Las Vegas is brought to you by a 50-pound tub of sex toys. <laughs> 